Just a warning to our listeners today, TV movies of the 70s and 80s are rife with salacious and traumatizing topics. From incest and rape to psychopathic killers hiding in your barn, we don't mean to make fun, but sometimes it's so outrageous you just have to laugh. So if you're triggered by any of these topics or people making light of them, you may want to skip today's episode and join us again next week. Thank you. And they go and they get like the straight razor out of the medicine cabinet. And then they're like almost like little dwarfs. They're like holding down their shoulders like they're going to, you know, march into <gasps> the shower to kill her. And they're like, should we do it now? And it's, all, it's, it's like the borrowers. Now. Maybe she, It is. Yeah. It's like the borrowers gone mad wanting to murder people. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who walked home from school or rode the bus because there was no such thing as getting picked up at school unless you were going to the dentist. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the made-for-TV movie in a special two-part episode devoted to this very special art form that was low on budget, but high on love triangles, deadly diseases, killer bees, and lots and lots of hostages. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. In the early 1960s, television networks began showing what were called made-for-TV movies to encourage audiences to stay home with their TVs. Ah, shut up. Okay, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> I just was, I was like standing on the wrong foot or something. <laughs> Back it up. Okay. You got great hair today, though. Thank you. It's untamed in any uh-huh. way, shape, or form. And you probably dried. didn't even spray a ton of um, like volumizer in it, did you? No, yeah, <laughs> no. It's just like I, I, but I did. I don't usually blow dry my hair, so that's why it's a little puffier than normal. But you know, this is my mom used to say I looked like the Wild Woman of Borneo. I love it. So this is my Borneo hair. That's better than something the cat drug in. That's what my mom oh. used to say. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here we go. In the early 1960s, television networks began showing what were called made-for-TV movies to encourage audiences to stay home with their TVs on instead of going to the theater and turning their TVs off. They had already been rebroadcasting theatrical releases with a lot of success. And when a shortage of movie studio products slowed down their stream of rebroadcasts, networks were forced to make their own feature films, made specifically for the small screen, and the made-for-TV movie was born. So these TV movies were often made quickly, 
without a lot of money, because there isn't much money to be made from a made-for-TV movie, beyond getting people to stay home and keep their eyeballs on your station, whereas a theatrical film can make money from ticket sales or rebroadcasts on TV. Most television films lacked those revenue streams, and the films are seldom rerun, so they had to be made cheaply. Because if your family is sitting down in the living room watching Replacing Dad, that's a movie I came across this week, (laughs) Replacing Dad, that would translate to multiple ticket sales for a theatrical release. But it only gets counted as one household in the world of TV. So big budgets were out of the question. Yeah, there was also an economical way to produce um, a pilot for a show. You could test the waters with a TV movie. And even if the show didn't get picked up, you could still air the movie and you had two hours of um, airtime for mm-hmm. your show. So I was really amazed to find out some of my favorite shows during the 70s had actually been piloted as TV movies. Mm-hmm. We have Little House on the Prairie. And you might oh, wait, remember. that was a movie? Yeah, Karen. Oh, my remember God, you're that. right. The, opening was a, the pilot was a movie. And that's Karen Grassley's favorite episode, even though it's not technically yeah, an episode, quote unquote right? episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When right, they're moving. When they're moving to exactly. Walnut Grove. Right. And we know yep. it's Karen Grassley's favorite. Why? Because she told us. Told us. <laughs> I thought it was like there was a naked man in it or something. No, because she, she told us that. herself it was her favorite because she did. we talked mm-hmm. to her. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, and then my other favorite family drama that competes with the Ingalls would be the Waltons, and that was also um, a oh, TV movie that course. was called The Homecoming, and that starred Patricia Neal. So sometimes the pilots had the original the, the cast members that would then go on mm-hmm. and create those um, characters in uh-huh. the actual TV shows. Sometimes there'd be a little change up. And in that case, Patricia Neal was the mother in Homecoming, but then Michael Learned became the mother in The Waltons. And coincidentally, The Homecoming is the show that Karen Grassley watched to prepare for her audition for Little House on the Prairie. Mind blown. And how do we know that? Because she She told told us. (laughs) I'm still chuckling inside at Kristen going, I don't know, because there was a naked man in it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I network TV in the 1970s. <laughs> so they just had naked men running around. Well, there was uh, the guy that bathed in the creek, Gil Gerard. So that's, you know, oh, naked that's right. for 1970s well, that's true, naked. 1970s. Yeah. She um, did have so eyes the, for him. Ma did have eyes for You guys ready for, for a few more? We yeah, yeah. Six yeah. Million Dollar Man was one, as was really? the Bionic Woman. Oh, yeah, they that's were both. right. Policewoman was one. Charlie's mm-hmm. Angels oh. was one. Wow. Basically, I want to say they, all of about all of any... Them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, drama, hour-long drama series mm-hmm. that you um, that we watched in the 70s and probably early 80s started as a pilot, which was very clever, in my opinion, because right. they only had to f- um, film one, this two-hour movie, because now, you know, sometimes for some of these sitcoms especially, they'll do the pilot, and then they'll do like four or five episodes in case the pilot gets mm-hmm. picked up, um, and that's costly, I would think, sure. and, so yeah. you've, and mm-hmm. then sometimes they never see the light of day. So this was a really um, economical way to get a feel for how the show might mm-hmm. might play with people. Do you guys and, have any that you know of or think of? Yeah, I was thinking from a previous episode that we did. Wasn't the Love Boat one? I yes. believe. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. one of. I think Carolyn, you might have even mentioned. I don't know. Maybe it was me. <laughs> no, the Love it's Boat. Been a few I think it maybe even had two before it actually became a regular series. And then lots of times we would have, after a series was over, or even when it was actually playing um, and current, they would actually do a movie. So you Mm -hmm. would still get a two-hour Love Boat movie another night of the week 
Um, or we have our favorite reunion specials of a lot of TV of shows that became two-hour movies. Some of the Brady Bunch ones did, Love Boat did, mm-hmm. um, Eight is Enough did, Little House on the Prairie. They all go on right. to kind of um, another way to kind of capture that audience that loved them so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. That was the best. Yeah, and when I was doing my research for this episode, I learned that James at 15 was the movie. Is it a feeling in the heart or is it something And then didn't he turn 16? <laughs> after he, after he after had sex? After he lost after. his virginity. Yeah. So oh, is that what happened? As, yes. Yeah. It started as James at 15 for, I don't know, maybe the first season or something, because okay. I'll never forget. I have a whole memory of this one. My mom actually let me watch it. She had to talk to me about what oh. the James at 16 episode was going to be about. And I got to watch it in her bedroom on a little black and white TV. And then the way the entrant or the um, credits and the beginning of the show were... It showed the same James at 15, the same kind of thing it had always shown. And then a little, it crossed out the 15, That's right. 15, and it wrote 16, and they put 16. in the corner. God, I, I believe, that wasn't show. that whole show only on for like, I don't know, 17 episodes or something too? Like It an, was a hot like a minute, season and a and half I was or there something. for yeah. everyone. I mm-hmm. was too. It seems like a big part of my adolescence. Yeah. Well, he was I all think over Tiger Beat during that time. He was, Lance mm-hmm. Kerwin. Oh, yeah. He's in one of my favorite TV movies we'll talk about later. Okay. So what this means, because we can't stop talking about James at 15 in our made-for-TV movie episode, what this means is that we have to do an episode on James at 15. Okay. So yeah. stay tuned. Stay I'm tuned. In. Okay, so as we said, TV movies generally didn't have big budgets, but even though big budgets were out of the question, there were still some made-for-TV movies that were considered really good, even though they were low-budget affairs. The TV movie that is often cited as the best of all time, not just the Gen X era, but of all time, of all the TV movies, is a movie called Duel. And this was mentioned by a lot of our followers um, when we asked them for their favorite TV movies. And this is about a businessman commuting to work who's terrorized and harassed by a big rig-style tractor-trailer truck for two hours in prime time. (laughs) And it was the directorial debut of a fresh young upstart named Steven Spielberg. (gasps) Really? Yes. Yes. And he used this movie, Duel, as his audition tape, essentially, for the job of directing Jaws. And it's the same movie. It's the same movie. And even Steven Spielberg says there's a real connection between Duel and Jaws because it's about a Leviathan versus the everyman. Uh I mean, that's all that Jaws is. And if you watch them side by side, you'll see he draws the tension exactly the same way. Wow. Monster, everyman. Mm -hmm. It makes total sense. Have Have both of you seen Duel? No, no, I've never seen it. Oh, I've seen it several times. It's it's good. And when you said when you just read the you know tagline or whatever yeah. the description of the um, movie, it doesn't sound like you could be absorbed for two hours, especially when <laughs> one of the main characters isn't even a human. Really, it's the <laughs> it's a truck. Right. But oh my gosh, it is the most evil truck. And you <laughs> literally you're on the edge of your seat. I know it sounds ridiculous, but Steven Spielberg pulled it off. And yeah, I could now totally see the Jaws connection, but it's, you need to watch it. And I think your husbands would enjoy it too. Okay. That's I feel a like really good this whole friend. episode is like sponsored by the more, you know, because know. you know, with a little shooting rainbow, <laughs> because I'm going to be, I'm going to learn so much and I'm going to, at the end of this episode, have the longest list of movies I need to go find and watch. I know. It's true. Oh, yeah. Starting mm-hmm. with yeah. dual. Mm-hmm. I promise you both will enjoy okay. it. 
So Duel was made for about $450,000. And with, you know, in the hands of the right director, um, he was able to make that into uh, a historic release, a historic piece of film. Film? Is it a still film if it's on TV? Whatever. Sure. Um, okay, so how do you how do you cheap out on a TV movie production? Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg did it by just having a truck and a car <laughs> as characters, essentially. <laughs> but what you can do is you have a small crew. You have limited cast members and sets. Maybe you have an underdeveloped script. Um, but you can also use musical montages full of cut footage, flashback sequences, or you can repeat footage. They did that all the time. They would use the same footage they used in the beginning of the film. Um, and they would have extended periods of dramatic slow motion footage. <laughs> All of this takes up time that you don't have to pay for. And there are certainly no special effects. Um, and also you might hire a young upstart director with no experience named Steven Spielberg, who is right. probably like, you know, I get $15 an hour. Um, <laughs> Oftentimes, these made-for-TV movies could just feel like drawn-out episodes of a primetime drama series. Unless, of course, you juice things up with a train wreck of a topic. Something so outrageous that people can't look away. Like Edith Bunker and a love triangle in the 1981 classic Isabel's Choice. She's torn between the man who loves her and the man who needs her. It's the toughest choice a woman can make. And she's loving every minute of it. <laughs> Edith, you naughty minx. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Michelle, you need to re read all of these little And lines. Let's not forget, like, you guys, this isn't young Gene Stapleton. This is no, 1981. No, no. This is Edith, Edith. Bunker, Gene Stapleton. Oh, mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, big time Edith. Yep. She's been around a while by 1981. You go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whoa. Um, or the drama Sweet Hostage, starring Linda Blair. It's an about an escaped psychopath and the illiterate farm girl he drags to a deserted <laughs> cabin to become her teacher, friend, and lover. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, I don't think I was allowed to watch that. Here's Carolyn's worst nightmare. <laughs> or Trapped. A 1973 movie starring James Brolin as a man mugged in a department store who awakens to find he's been locked in overnight and then is attacked by security dogs. Oh, my God. Okay. Seriously. I, that is Carolyn. If you guys listen to Carolyn's our worst nightmare episode, that's Carolyn's, <laughs> Carolyn's worst nightmare. It is. But when I read that in my research, that description, I thought, how on earth do you make that a two-hour movie? I know. He's trapped well. and he gets attacked by dogs. I mean... Gosh, and I guess that was low budget, too, if it's just James Brolin and some dogs. One guy. I mean, the dogs are probably cheap. <laughs> cheap, right. Mm -hmm. Well, all they have to do is just run at the camera bearing their teeth, probably. <laughs> and they just use that footage over and over and yeah, over again. you don't it's even have to retape it. Running. No, yeah. no. You just use the same footage. Snarling dogs. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. So often TV movies were also made to cash in on salacious stories in the news, like Casualties of Love, the Long Island Lolita story, starring <laughs> Alyssa Milano as Amy Fisher, mm -hmm. the teenager who shot Joey Buttafuoco's wife in the face on her own doorstep. A movie that, I love this so much, a movie that one reviewer said feels not unlike a very special episode of Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> I remember that one. I remember that I movie. Too. That was like when we were adults, though, that movie. Mm -hmm. yeah, it was but like I was all 90s. in to watch that mm -hmm. movie, yeah. Yeah, man. 
So this is where we get a lot of the true crime style movies like um, small like small sacrifices, which is about a woman on trial for the attempted murder of her own children or the burning bed, which we will talk about in a little bit. Both of these, by the way, starring Farrah Fawcett. Tonight, I, Francine, take thee, Mickey, to be my husband, to have and to hold for richer or poor. Farrah Fawcett in a powerful drama torn from today's headlines based on a true story of a woman trapped in a brutal and violent marriage until the night she struck back. There is no doubt that some of these movies were memorable. No matter what you say about good or bad or high quality or B-movie, we remember them. Yeah, I remember um, some of them. Um, my most memorable actually made our countdown, so I'm going to hold off on those. But do you guys remember the 1983 movie called Thursday's Child? Is that ringing any bells with you? I don't remember this one. Okay, Thursday's Child. Here's who it starred. It starred, I'm going to save the best for last. It starred Gina Rollins, okay. Tracy Gold, Jessica Walters, oh. you know, Lucille Bluth, Jessica Walters. Yes, arrested Jessica Walters. Mm -hmm. And it starred Rob Lowe. And you guys, I feel like this might be the movie where Rob Lowe first came on my radar. Um, it's the one, um, he plays Sam, who's a football player, um, who discovers he has a heart condition and needs a heart transplant. Um, and that's kind of the whole story. That's the nutshell. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, we talked, and those of you listening, we did a whole episode um, on after-school specials, and then we did a, a separate episode. The whole episode is about the blockbuster 1980 Rob Lowe vehicle, Schoolboy Father, um, which was his first <laughs> appearance on TV. So he had done Schoolboy Father in 1980, but Thursday's Child was to be Rob Lowe's first film role, for, and it was slated for 1982, but it actually got bumped to 1983. So it came out the same year The Outsiders came out. Um, and oh, Thursday's boom, Child yeah. actually was really well received. It was nominated for two Golden Globes, and Rob Lowe, at and you know his first his first appearance on film, Rob Lowe was nominated in the category of best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a series, miniseries, or motion picture made for TV. Yeah. Oh my God. And how old would he have been then? Like sixteen? Um, He's really young. Gosh. Um, I I would have to look that up. But yeah, a teenager, yeah, like a, like a late teenager. Right? Yeah. And then Gina Rollins in the movie. Um, she plays um, his mom. She um, was nominated for Best Performance by an Actress. Um, and God, you guys, I love Gina Rollins and Hope Floats. Oh my God, with all her oh, taxidermied yeah. animals, she's she's <laughs> she's a treasure. Um, so that one has stuck with me as one that when mm -hmm. I see Thursday's Child or something, and I I don't know if it was the story. You know, it's one of those tragic. There's a lot of those where the young, yeah, the young athlete them, like, disease, or the young kid of the gets week. sick or yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah, and he oh. had has to have. You know, and he's trying not to cough, and he's trying to act like he's okay because oh, he doesn't want to worry his parents, and he ends up having to have a heart transplant. Uh, <laughs> it was a tearjerker. Yeah. It was a 1980s tearjerker. But it's jerker. memorable for me. Like, that's one that is um, – That was that probably a coming-of-age moment for you. Maybe. I mean, well, surely because I was like, well, hello, Rob Lowe. So <laughs> I guess we can define coming-of-age differently, but sure. Right. Let's say, Yeah. <laughs> I have, 14, a, I have a very, I have a lot that I remember, but there is one very distinct memory about a movie called Leave Yesterday Behind, starring John Ritter as a young veterinary student who is paralyzed while he's playing polo. And Carrie oh, Fisher, yes, and Carrie Fisher as his horse trainer slash love interest who's trying to help him um, rehab him from his disability. Um, and there were some, I, I just, 
it's not the big moments that I remember. It's small moments that I remember. For instance, when Carrie Fisher puts him in the pool is, and is trying to teach him to swim, and John Ritter's in the pool and he can't use his legs. And I'm like, John Ritter, be careful. He doesn't <laughs> she careful. Like kind of throw, like, not throw him oh, in there, yes. but she's trying to show him he can do it. So yes, she's and he's like, scared. Yes. And it was terrifying. Yes, I I remember. Oh. This is more whiplash. You yes. Guys, this episode, yeah. my net, I'm going to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> it has just been crazy. I totally yeah. It was that. so frightening watching him thinking he's drowning and he can't use, I mean, that's acting people. Don't use your legs, John Ritter. And it was really terrifying for me. But the worst part of, or maybe is the worst, the most memorable, I don't know. The worst part is this very melodramatic moment where um, John Ritter and his horse trainer slash love interest, he's, he's confessing to her because now they're in love. And he's like, I don't know if I can make love. <laughs> And I am mortified because I'm watching this with my grandma. I'm like, oh, God. (gasps) Oh, I mean, she was probably just like knitting an Afghan anyway and probably didn't even hear it. But uh, the mortification of the moment was enough to make me remember it to this day. Oh, my gosh. I have a question. I remember that now. Mm -hmm. (sighs) I have a question I wonder if you guys can answer. Um, So, Kristen, you said earlier that it was – you know, one of the the draws of these movies is that they could make them for less money. They didn't have yeah. to have the big budget. Mm-hmm. But it really seems like they had really good stars in all of they these movies. Did. I mean, mm-hmm. in the one you just said, I mean, this is John. What move, what year was the one you just? This um, was nineteen seventy nine. Is it okay? So or, we're post maybe seventy eight or seventy nine. So it's we're, three's we're company. He's he's big time. He is. Well, Carrie I know Fisher, his name is John Ritter. Yeah. Well, right. And Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Wars was seventy eight. So Carrie yep. Fisher is huge. Seventy seven. But still. 77, yes. right. Yeah. And um, I just know the Star Wars people would get super pissed if I let that go. <laughs> like, um, and, right. And yeah, and I, you know, in all of these other ones we're about to talk about, I mean, they're blockbuster casts. They're all, they're all either current or very recent, mm-hmm. like TV stars or they're in movies. So I guess that's my question then. You know, instead of hiring a lot of unknowns, they're actually still hiring. I wonder so, if this so is one of their hooks. I just wonder oh, if they did sure. Like, where does the budget go? We only have $450,000. Let's reserve two hundred of it for Carrie Fisher and John Ritter. And then we'll use a bunch of recycled footage, right? Because well, then also, they can get our eyes. Yeah. And you have oh, to right. think, too, that for the stars, I mean, this is good business for them as well because then mm-hmm. they're also, you know, John Ritter's able now to be a paralyzed former polo player instead of Jack Tripper. So it's good yeah. for them, too, to show their diversity as actors and all this stuff. So maybe they didn't demand the high salaries that we're used to hearing stars currently do it's good for to them. do Remember, extra projects. Um, yeah. That's- do you remember totally how Karen Grassley said in her book that she was trying to do a made-for-TV movie? Was this when she wanted to do Battered, or maybe it was a different one? I can't remember. And Michael Landon would not let her <laughs> yeah, it was off battered. the set mm-hmm. to make this made-for-TV movie. And just like you said, Michelle, it was an important thing for her because it was a personal topic, but because it would get her out of the prairie skirts. Exactly. And she needed right. people to see her out of prairie skirts, yeah. and Michael Landon said no. Right. I think that's totally what it is. It was an mm-hmm. opportunity for a lot of these stars to show their acting chops out mm-hmm. of this character that we've become, you know, we have come to know them by. And yeah, yeah they're probably willing to do it for less. It was a win-win. And then right. um, you know, the movie could be marketed as, you know, Star Wars, yeah. Carrie Fisher, and three oh, companies. Yeah. And it was just trying and then yeah, to increase showing up. Increase yeah. their visibility yes. was, yeah. it was smart for them too. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, did you have totally. any titles well, you want to drop in that, here? Um, yeah, that I wanted to chat about was, it's called Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. 
1973, but I watched it later, and I remember my mom telling me she couldn't. She had watched it in 1973, and she said, it's so scary. I don't think you should watch it. I can't even watch it again. It's that scary. And I was like, oh, of course I can watch it. Okay, so it stars Kim Darby, Jim Hutton, who is Timothy Hutton's dad, and oh, you would totally recognize is. him if you saw the um, saw this movie or any of his other movies. Um, I don't recognize any of the other names in it, so I'm not going to say them. Oh, except for William Demarest, who I think isn't that <gasps> oh, um, Fred? That's Fred. Yeah, Fred and, and Fred. Uncle. Yeah, so Fred is in it, and maybe that was the big name that drew, drew Wait, everybody. Wait, who's James Frawley? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's Fred. No, Fred is Fra- no, William no. Frawley. Isn't well, it William, oh, William Frawley? Demarest is, is um, uh, the, 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 Charlie. my three sons. My three Uncle sons. Charlie. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Oh. It's the same person. But can't it's you get those thing. two mixed up? <laughs> yes. yes, thank you very much, Kristen. Okay, so yes, so Uncle Charlie is in it. Oh, and that's a little odd. You're not used to seeing him in this movie, which is about a young couple who inherits this strange home that is occupied by these small goblin-like creatures. They're like humans. You should see our faces right now. Yeah, we're like... <laughs> Goblin-y looking, and they talk with these really weird little voices. Oh, God. And they want to murder Kim Darby, but and no one believes her that they're in there. And the scary scene, she's in the shower, and they climb up, and they turn the lights off. They climb out of the wall. Do they look like humans? Yes, but oh. goblin-y like humans. Okay. Yes, this is so you horrible. Know me. This is horrible. horrible. And they go and they get like the straight razor out of the medicine cabinet. And then they're like almost like little dwarfs. They're like holding down their shoulders like they're going to, you know, march into (laughs) the shower to kill her. And they're like, should we do it now? It's it's like the borrowers. Maybe It is. It's like the borrowers (laughs) gone mad wanting to murder people. And no one believes Kim Darby that this is happening. And they think she's going crazy. And they're gaslighting her everywhere. And they're so creepy. And they come out the fireplace. And there's a bunch of them. And they're just... Your voice is so funny right now. Well, watch yeah. the movie. The and goblin it, voice. It's it my goblin voice. But it's what they sound like. And they like have this whole um, plot as to how they're going to kill her. Oh, my gosh, you guys. It's still scary to this day. I mean, I have only was able to see clips because I can't find it anywhere. And it's kind of like a cult classic. So yeah. if anyone knows where I can watch the whole thing, um, please let me know. But I was able to watch the shower scene where they turn I'm out the lights. Watch. But she, she doesn't know the oh lights are out yet because she's washing her hair and her eyes are closed. And they're in there and they're talking very quietly and they talk really fast. And oh, so anyway, that would be the 1973 thriller, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. I would not be watching that alone. No, you guys, let's write one. Let's write a made-for-TV movie. That would be fun. It sounds like we can. It sounds like it's not something that's beyond us at all. Anything goes. When you hear some of some of the the storylines that we're going to tell you, you'd be like, "Yeah, I think I can do that Uh too." Um, I was always a fan of the celebrity bio made for TV movie, a huge fan, because I had a fascination with old Hollywood when I was a kid. And I had this book that um, had short little bios of all sorts of old film stars. What I came to find out later is that those short little bios were actually obituaries. <laughs> I had a book oh, full yeah, of obituaries. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling us yes. about that. Yeah. I had no idea. I'm like, oh, these little biographies. I love them so much. <laughs> So when the Jane Mansfield story aired on the CBS Wednesday Night Movie in 1980, I was all in because I already knew all about Jane Mansfield. She, If you don't know who Jane Mansfield is, she's sort of like a second banana to Marilyn Monroe. She was really trying to fill those shoes. Um, and this is IMDb describes the Jane Mansfield story like this. The gaudy rise and dizzy fall of the last great Hollywood blonde bombshell, starring Lonnie Anderson as Jane Mansfield and Arnold Schwarzenegger as her bodybuilder husband, Mickey Hargitay. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Mariska Hargitay from what's that show? That's her mom. 
It's her mom and dad. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lonnie Anderson are her parents. <laughs> and there are real there are oftentimes some very shocking aspects to TV movies. And the reason that this one is so memorable for me is because of how Jane Mansfield died. And the movie opens with her death, which is sitting in the backseat of a car with her children next to her, and they're and it's nighttime, and you see these headlines, and you hear horns honking, and then <laughs> car crash. But what I know from reading my book of obituaries is that Jane Mansfield was decapitated. Oh. And so I, I know, I know. And so I'm as a 12 year old going, I know that this happened. And now I'm watching this on TV and I'm trying to figure out the logistics of how she was decapitated in. Don't anyone send this to Mariska Hargitay. Well, wait, was she one of the Um, children sitting with her in the back? I'm trying to find out and I cannot. Well, she must have been because her mother died. So that wouldn't be your mom if, oh, but she could have been at home. Okay, never mind. Right, there could be, I don't know how many children Jane Mansfield But I've been a little obsessed to find out if Mariska Hargitay was one of those children in the back seat. And I pray to God that she has had monumental amounts of therapy because that scene has haunted me since 1980. Well, if she was, she probably has because she is married to my, like, number one hall pass, Peter Herman, and they have a wonderful family, oh, yeah. and um, they have, like, three or four children, some of them they've adopted, and um, they have a really So you're telling me she's okay? Family. She seems I'm, okay, yeah. Okay. I, I, I can't say okay. for certain. She okay. seems okay, but you know what? So do I. So. I know. <laughs> Good point. But I Thank think you. based on the, um, the <clears throat> themes and subjects of the show she's in now, she'd almost have to have a therapist just to get oh, through yes. some of those oh, seriously. Um, plot lines. Absolutely. Like they should provide recipe for yeah. all of those. Well, she's been on that job. show for like 49 years. So yeah. yeah. That's why I don't watch the show. Like, yeah. I, cause I don't have a full-time therapist. So no, I can't watch those types yeah. of shows. Yeah. Ooh. Another one that is like that is, um, uh, starts with the death is the Karen Carpenter story from 1989. And if you all listened, uh, just recently to our, Carpenter's episode part one, we talked about this. This one came up a lot because I did. we used it in our research, even though we, you know, we weren't positive how accurate it was. We felt that Richard Carpenter produced it. So there had to have been some accuracies in it, if not most of At the, least the details. Wants us to know. Um, right. The tagline mm-hmm. for this um, in the advertisement was, she had only just begun and suddenly oh, her world was falling apart. This also has the classic over-the-top made-for-TV movie opening sequence. Rainy Days and Mondays plays over the opening in when they find her body. What I've got, they used to call the blues. Sometimes I'd like to quit. Nothing ever seems. seems to fit. Hanging around. Nothing to do but frown. Rainy Days and Mondays always get me. Gosh, that even sounds sad to me. Yeah, hell, it's horrible. Hello, metaphor, right? And think about oh, yes. how many times she sang those words. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, she's um, in the hospital then. The ambulance comes and picks her up. The th- part that's heartbreaking is when Richard screeches into the driveway as the ambulance is pulling oh, away God. and he gets out of the car. Like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, but once in the hospital, um, she seems to rise from the gurney and she starts roller skating around the hospital. So there's almost no like, as she's dying, yeah, this is very melodramatic. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly she's a teenager and it becomes a flashback to her childhood. And that's when, that's when the movie begins. Um, it's and, the whole, and Rainy Days and Mondays is playing it's, the whole time. 
Yeah, and it's very dramatic and over the top, but yeah. you know what? It works. I mean, it gets you yeah. in that kind of that mood of that real melancholy and then the connecting the present day to the past and the it's the same person is basically what I'm seeing, right? Like Well, and it makes me wonder if just because we've talked about two movies that opened with the death of their person, mm-hmm. their dramatic I wonder if that is a trope that they use for made for TV movies. <sighs> Good point. Good. Start That's with a the good death. question. Start with the death. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, just the, ugh. she walks, like, they find her body. That's the opening scene. Finding her yeah. dead body. Yeah, That's you just hear the scream. Weird. You hear the mm-hmm. scream of, I think it's her mom. Yeah. Um, so, you guys, we had lots of feedback on Instagram and Facebook about people's memories of TV movies. And uh, a lot of people shared some fun stories. But there was one I felt that truly exemplified the importance these movies could play in your life. So this comes from Dina. Dina's our good friend on Instagram. She's at 30 cats. Um, she's a great, um, uh, supporter of the PCPS, um, and engages with us a lot. She said that the movie Alex, the life of a child, um, kind of prompted her, not kind of, it actually prompted her to volunteer at a cystic fibrosis camp which led to her meeting her husband. Oh, wow. Gosh, that's so So cool. that one movie, she says, literally played a huge part in my life. So it's like all thanks to the movie, Alex, yeah. The Life of a Child, that, um, that led to, you know, her marriage. And also, it sounds like that I was another also, disease of the week movie. It was. But I also would like yes. to say mm-hmm. it also did, uh, besides that being good, um, Dina, we also would like to applaud you for volunteering. <laughs> Oh, I can't too. For children yeah. with cystic yeah. fibrosis, because that was another yes. good thing that came out of um, yeah. that yeah. movie for you. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that part. Okay, so let's go back to the concept of quality again. We mentioned that all oftentimes these were low budget productions with kind of B movie status. Not all of them. I mean, some of them, like we said, are star studded affairs with Emmy nominations and stuff like that. But in the case of made for TV mo- movies, quality can take on a different meaning, meaning because. It could be that it's the lack of quality that is exactly what makes it unforgettable. And when you read the descriptions of some of these movies, it reads like pure comedy. Yeah, it to me, um, I feel like the titles and the taglines in the advertisements of these made-for-TV movies are basically after-school specials PM, yeah, like at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys, PM. I was looking for these. I could have kept going forever. Um, it's like for those of you listening, just do a Google search for <laughs> made for TV movie advertisements, like their TV ad, their TV guide ads, and you'll have like a solid hour of quality entertainment. Um, so here are just some of my favorites that I found. Um, in love with the son, betrothed to the father. This is the 1981 movie Child Bride of Short Creek, starring Diane Lane as the girl, a young 1981 Christopher Atkins, hot off Blue Lagoon as the son. And you guys, the father that little young Diane Lane is betrothed to, Conrad Bain. No, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Drummond. Drummond. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wait, wait. Diane Lane would have been like 13. She's oh, yeah. marrying she's Mr. Like, Drummond? Right. Because it's Child Bride of Short Creek. Oh, yes. Child Bride. I mm-hmm. get it. I understand. It says, the, then the longer tagline says, for generations, their beliefs allowed the elders to take as many wives as they wanted Ew. until a young girl is promised to the father of the boy she loves. So, you know, you've got Diane Lane and Christopher Atkins. That's cute. But then you've got Mr. Drummond. He always creeped me out anyway. I'm just going to say. I don't know yeah, why. It's it's a very monochromatic color palette he's got. <laughs> he had a turkey waddle, though. He had, yeah, like, he kind did. of that long neck he thing. Did. What's okay. wrong with a turkey waddle? Okay, <laughs> this is a good one, too. Um, she's 40 and in love again. Stay with me now. 
He's 20 and her best friend's son and her son's best friend. Suddenly she felt alive again and he was the reason. So who is he? There was only one problem. He's young. What? And his mother was her best friend. Eddie, she is my age. Why can't I have the one thing that makes me happy? That was a younger man. What price would she pay for love? The anatomy of a seduction. Oh, oops. Anatomy of seduction. (laughs) I wanted to add in my little um, tagline, which I think I found from the thing you said uh, sent us, Kristen, but it said a 1979 romantic soaper about a frosty divorcee's affair with her bosom buddy's college-age son, who is also her son's best friend. And I wanted to know, what is a frosty divorcee? (laughs) Yeah, what is that? I was trying, as you said, I was like, frosty. I think like, it like, be like hot? kind of cougar. Like, yeah, it should be. Frosty, frosty. sounds like she was cold. Yeah. I'm thinking it means like, or yeah, salty like, about something. Like, yes. Yeah. Anyway, frosty. Frosty, divorce, I get a negative connotation from. I do too. Please tell but us anyway, more about this. Frosty what I liked divorce. about this is that Rita Moreno plays the best friend. But in the in the ad, the advertisement, the boy, it's kind of a drawing, but it's a drawing of the two actresses. The boy is sucking on her fingers. Of no, the divorce. Oh God, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Shut okay. up. No, look it up. Okay, here's another one. Althea oh. is 40, separated, ready for a new life with a new man. Only one thing stands in her way her teenage daughter. Ew. Oh this God, one's called, wait, her. it's called Like Mom, Like Me, starring Linda Lavin and Christy McNichol. I started watching this one on YouTube. Oh. 1978, Christy McNichol. We love her. We adore her. I actually want to finish this one. I just ran out of time. Um, like Mom, Like Me, because that's a good cast, Linda Lavin and Christy McNichol. Yeah, now, another Christy McNichol gem two years later, but this one is also starring James Vincent McNichol, which is what it says. <laughs> James oh, Vincent. Yes. James Vincent. Yes. He wanted to, he wanted to, yeah. This one's called Blinded by the Light. And it says, her brother disappeared in a world of brainwasher, brainwashers and blackmailers. It will take all her love to get to him and all her strength to get him out. I think I saw that. Oh, did you? I think I'm I saw sure that. You well, yes. you've got, got the McNichols in it. Star How could you look away? Right. Yeah. Okay. I would have watched that for sure. Okay. I like this one. She put on a uniform and risked her life. But when she took it off, she risked everything. Police woman centerfold. (laughs) You thought I just meant when she took off her uniform and put on like her regular clothes, right? Right. Nope. Mm, mm, mm. She put on a uniform and risked her life. But when she took it off, she risked everything. Police woman centerfold, 1983. Okay. I like this one. Um, uh, Carolyn talked a little bit about um, Sweet Hostage, didn't you? Just talk about Sweet Hostage Mm -hmm. starring Linda Blair and Martin Sheen from 1975. Just the little short tagline and the advertisement and the TV guides. (laughs) When... (laughs) When he captured a girl, he unleashed a woman. Oh. <laughs> They're all nasty. And then they're supposed to fall in love or something in I the know, barn. I know. I know. Okay. Um, I feel Ugh. like this might be the best one from 1977. The tagline says, it's the, it's the title that's going to get you, but the tagline mm-hmm. says, to hide her sexuality, she must plead guilty to murder. And the title is, it's a real long one, so stay with me. Okay. <laughs> in the Glitter Palace. Where the gay people meet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, 
Wait, that sounds like something that would be in a hoochie house. In Not the something on the ABC Wednesday night movie. Hi, yeah, Dash, oh where the God. gay people meet. Um, and then I just thought this was funny. There was one I saw um, called Glitz with Jimmy Smits and Marky Post, and the tagline just said, Sleazy does it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we asked our followers which TV movies they remembered, Multiple people mentioned Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I can't believe I didn't see this. I cannot believe I didn't see this. It's a 1978 TV movie starring the band Kiss and <laughs> produced by Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> like, tell me, okay, now let me, just listen to this. Tell me if this sounds like an episode of Scooby-Doo. So the movie's plot revolves around Kiss, who use their superpowers to battle an evil inventor to save a, save a California amusement park from destruction. Is it an animated movie? No, it's just a movie. It Gene Simmons is running around some amusement yes. park trying to... Yes. It totally so it sounds like Scooby-Doo. And, and then there's Paul like Stanley. someone chasing him and then he takes his yeah. mask off. You yeah. know what? I'm just... I'm shocked that they agreed to do that. And then I'm Me also... Because they were also on Love Boat, which seems very white bread for them to be mm -hmm. doing stuff like this. Um, but again, maybe it's like we said before. That's just the visibility of we want to get our name out there. I don't know. Well, and part of it is seemed like a good idea at the time because the members of KISS actually despised the film after the fact because mm. it made them look so buffoonish. They looked like fools. <laughs> oh, and for years, yeah, they looked like fools. They thought it was going to be some hard-hitting crime drama. Yeah, like imagine running in those boots through the park, right? <laughs> the glittery platform That's boots. That's just point. not, you're not going to look cool doing that. You're just not. And for years afterwards, they would forbid anyone from mentioning the movie in their presence because they mm -hmm. were so mortified by it. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's funny, but it is true. One. Like, what did they think it was going to be? I it's, know. First of all, mm -hmm. two words, Hanna-Barbera, or is that one Hello? word? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, amusement park. There are a yeah. lot of red flags. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if it weren't for you meddling <laughs> kids. <laughs> you young oh. whippersnappers. Gosh. Oh, my God. So we actually have some society members who have a podcast of their own devoted entirely to reviewing movies from the golden era of TV movies, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And it is called the Made for TV Movie Club. So we asked Beth and Kirsten, our knowledgeable podcast hosts, what their most memorable TV movies were. And here's what they said. Hi, ladies. It's Beth. And Kirsten from the Made for TV Movie Club podcast. So, Beth, we've been asked what is our favorite all-time made for TV movie. And I feel like there's sort of this before and after in my mind. I agree. So before we started doing the podcast, and now that we've started doing the podcast and had the chance to review these movies. So I would say from my memories that um my favorite movies were The House Without a Christmas Tree Correct. and the a movie we haven't done yet, no. um, but I do want to do. I know you know I don't want to it's do called, <laughs> it's, it's A Girl Called Sooner, um, both of which are pretty darn depressing they and dark. They are, yes. But, but um, you know that that's kind of where I like to live. Yes. So now that we have gotten to review some more movies, the most enjoyable movie that I have seen so far is definitely Trilogy of Terror. You like that one. I love it, love it, love it. I like that one too, but I will say, I think before we started the podcast, I liked In Broad Daylight, but we just reviewed The Burning Bed star starring Farrah Fawcett, and I think the writing is so tight, the acting is phenomenal. Every single actor in that movie, it's a great TV movie, and I'm going to say that that is probably 
my very, very favorite TV movie now after starting the podcast. So The House Without a Christmas Tree is a movie we talked about in one of our very first episodes. Was it episode two? It is episode two. Yep, like it is. Episode yep, I two. went back and double checked that. And this is one of the many holiday made for TV movies. And it really is one of the best. It aired in 1972 and it stars Jason Robards as a grumpy man who hasn't had a Christmas tree since his Christmas loving wife died. Much <laughs> to the chagrin of his Laura Ingalls lookalike daughter, Addie. I seriously thought it was half pint the whole time. Um, my mom for sure had this on VHS. Raise your hand if you recently <laughs> oh. moved your parents and you had to figure out what to do with all the VHS tapes and the VCR. Well, there's another Christmas TV movie that um, came back on my radar. Um, do you guys remember The Gift of Love? This was Marie, with Marie Osmond. Osmond. Yes, this yes. was her acting oh. debut with Timothy Bottoms, where they yep. it's a retelling of the O. Henry story, Gift of the Magi. And then they also mentioned Beth and Kirsten, The Burning Bed. Yes. So... If you guys remember that, um, that is a 1984 movie starring Farrah Fawcett, which in and of itself might say, okay, Farrah, let's, let's see what it's, um, what it's about. You guys, this was about a woman who murdered her husband by burning him <laughs> in his bed. That's the title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> after she had been abused for more than 12 years. True story, you guys. This mm-hmm. happened. It happened in Michigan. She not only set the bed on fire, the whole house on fire, and then went in and turned herself in, told the police what she did, and was found not guilty when she went to trial and acquitted for that crime. Now, many people doubted that Chris Monroe, I mean Farrah Fawcett, <laughs> could pull off this incredible... No, she's Jill. Chris is Sherlad. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Okay. So, Good catch. so many people doubted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but you guys, she did. Mm-hmm. She was believable, and television critic Matt Seitz, in his 2016 book titled TV, The Book, praised her performance as one of the finest in the history of TV movies. Wow, really? And you think who that's up against. Yes. No kidding. Jim well, of, t- but of TV movies, it's not a real, it's <laughs> not a hard No, that's not true. As we go on in <laughs> No, in she was phenom- phenomenal in that movie. She, I'm just I mean, think about that, it. We're still talking about it, right? Well, it's We're not just still talking about, talking about it. I think The Burning Bed has become one of those kind of pop culture um, references, like when you say, oh, he's going to boil my, you know, oh, don't boil my bunny or, you know, like right. Um, right. Fatal, Attraction. Fatal Attraction. The Burning Bed is kind of one of those pop culture references yeah. that people yeah. are, are one of those things people refer to. Um, well, and, yeah. and not only um, that, but this um, author or this critic said that The Burning Bed in his book, he says is the seventh greatest American TV movie of all time. Wow. He wrote that this film was a landmark in terms of content, depicting domestic violence as an unambiguous horror and a human rights violation. Wow. And I think people watched it. I mean, this is brilliant casting because people were watching it to see how Jill Monroe, aka Farrah Fawcett, how could this woman that we had just thought of as a jiggle actress was going to take on something so ugly and serious. Mm -hmm. And she nailed Nailed it. it. Yeah. Totally. And it even, didn't it help change laws about domestic abuse? Oh, it did. And it it made, it helped change laws. It helped bring it again, um, much like Battered when we talked to Karen Grassley, um, this issue that's often, um, you know, kept in the shadows, not talked about. Mm -hmm. It gave us a platform to talk about it and to get some laws changed and to really bring it to the forefront. So, yeah, it was a good one. It's a good one for her legacy. Yes, definitely. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. She's got the poster, which, well, you know, is historic. 
most still to this day, the biggest selling poster of all time. And mm-hmm. then she has the burning bed. Those are yeah. good things. Uh, another one that Beth and Kirsten mention is Trilogy of Terror, which is from 1975. And this is one that was mentioned over and over by our followers, um, our society members on social media. Um, this one clearly left a big impression. Now, here's the log line. Trilogy of Terror, starring Karen Black, in which Karen plays four tormented women in three short horror stories. The first, Julie finds Black playing a murderous English professor. The second, and admittedly weakest of the bunch, has Black doubling up as mentally unhinged twin sisters. <laughs> of course, we got to have some twins in there somewhere. Oh, you need twins. <laughs> yeah. And Amelia, the final entry, pits Black against a... <laughs> A homicidal and totally batshit Zuni fetish doll come to life inside her high-rise apartment. I don't remember this at all. Do you guys? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, I, don't I, I wasn't, but I'm memory. not a horror. I'm not a scary movie, horror movie no, type person. I'm a scaredy cat. Well, and you know, I think those, um, the TV movies, the horror movies, those were almost scarier to me mm. because as you mentioned earlier, Kristen, there weren't the special effects. They didn't have the budget right. for that. They really had to play on that kind of, um, the fear factor and the what's behind the door. Oh, Something God, that could yes. really happen. Like there could be little goblins in your wall. Like how like, would you know? Don't turn off the lights in the shower. Don't right. do it. Yeah. Don't open you know, that door. They're don't go in, the in house. there. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was, um, another one called, um, and now, like when Michael calls, do you remember this? Oh, yes. the name? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. When the woman's son had died, but she's getting phone ah! calls. Is from that the him. one that it's I coming know. from inside your house? No, like that's the, oh. a different one. I think that's, that's called the, When a Stranger Calls. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. coming from inside yeah. the house. <gasps> that creeps me oh, out. Yes. That's mm-hmm. scarred. Another scary scarred. one. But yeah, I, just something that the TV movies to me had a possibility of really happening. Mm-hmm. Lots of times the yeah. scary movies at the movie theater. They're, that's never going to happen. Like yeah. the goblins, ones, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The goblins, maybe they could. I don't know. Because they were little just miniature humans, kind of, just with weird pointy noses. <laughs> uh, well, we don't remember. Maybe the three of us don't really remember Trilogy of Terror, but lots of people do because mm-hmm. Trilogy of Terror has developed a cult following over the years and earned a reputation as a cult classic. And that Zuni doll from the third segment, that has been called by some as one of the scariest dolls in movie history. <laughs> Which means I'm so not I guess Googling up against, up against, yeah, don't Google it, it. Right up now. against those uh, little gremlins in Carolyn's movie. Right. Um, and also MeTV even deemed Trilogy of Terror the scariest television film of all time in 2016. What? That's not what they watching. say. I can't. No. Oh, oh, I think I saw this movie. <laughs> oh my God. <gasps> Oh, show us, show us, show us. Okay, okay, okay guys, listening right now, we're going to post this in like, is it something we can post in stories this week or no? Oh, pro- I mean, yeah. Is it too scary? Will people no, run? No, no, okay. but I, as Will soon people as I run saw and throw it, their phone like in the lake? Um, as soon as I saw it, this might even be a scene from the movie. Oh my gosh. As soon as I saw it, I know the Zuni fetish doll. <gasps> yes, I know that doll. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> See, oh my god! Like I've it, seen that doll, like in yeah, I yes, feel like I've with seen the teeth. It recreate, it's the yeah. teeth. Yes, oh. Why do they call it fetish doll? Ooh, I don't know. Zuni fetish doll, but yeah, as soon as I saw it, I rec- I, I saw a trilogy of terror. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that the movie of the week was chock full of terrifying and disturbing content. And one movie that people have been mentioning, I swear, even before we asked about this. As if they just needed to talk about it. Apropos of nothing, they're bringing this up in the comments on our social media feed. 
is Bad Ronald. After an accidental murder, Ronald, a lonely and unpopular boy, takes refuge in a fantasy world, an existence that becomes inescapable and deadly. Starring Kim Hunter, Dabney Coleman, and Scott Jacoby in a compelling thriller, Bad Ronald. I had never even heard about it until our followers <laughs> no, brought it up. Yes, it's a 1974 it? movie. I probably wasn't allowed to watch this. A 1974 movie about a family that moves into a new house unaware that there's a secret room occupied by a psychopathic teenager who has just killed his bully. This is too scary for me now. I'm Wait, And it's on TV. Yeah. He's not a ghost. He's an actual... A person, person who's hiding yes. out there because he's just yes. killed somebody. Oh, that's mm-hmm. frightening. And we just bought this house and we're going to move in now. Yeah, oh, no. there's a guy no, here. No, thanks. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, when I just put it into um, into Google, it said, people also search for Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. That's the Little Goblin movie. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. then I had forgotten about this one, but now I recognize the um, picture. The Little Girl Who Lived Down the Lane <gasps> with yes. Jodie Foster. That oh, sounds familiar. Oh, my gosh. You just husker dude me. They called her the little girl who lives down the lane. All alone in that big house. Who was she? And what was her secret? Will you read the the log line for that little girl who lived down the lane? Because I I remember being afraid and I don't remember what it's about. And it's Jodie Foster. It's like a silhouette thing. Um, I'll just tell you what that little... Blurb says she was the only. She was only a little girl. She lived in a great big house all alone. Where is her mother? Where is her father? Where are all the people who went to visit her? Oh, what is her unspeakable secret? Everyone who knows is dead. (laughs) You're good. She's a bad seed. Kind of, yeah, and there's like the, like the thing that would have been in the TV guide. Oh, like that's a good one. Wow. I'm going to share, totally you guys listening, that. I'm going to share this week um, either as an Instagram post or in story somewhere, uh, maybe in the newsletter, I don't know yet, <laughs> but <laughs> these TV ads because yeah, the pictures so are so funny. Those, okay, so but back job. to these terrifying, um, yeah. what is with, I mean, it's like the more freaky, terrifying and just disturbing the better. Listen to this log line. Kiss the girls and make them sigh. Hunt them down and watch them die. On TV. That's deadly lessons. Yeah. And guess who it's starring? Oh my God, who? <laughs> Donna Reed and Larry Wilcox. <laughs> no. <laughs> From Chips. Yeah. Not and much, Donna but John. And, and Donna It's Reed. a Wonderful Life. Donna Reed. Donna Reed. Yeah. Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society is on Patreon? Patreon allows you to support our work by becoming dues-paying members of our society. We are an independent, women-run endeavor with a commitment to delivering the highest quality listening experience to our community. And so we've taught ourselves how to record, edit, and produce a podcast in midlife, a time when most of us are asking our kids how to regram a TikTok so that we can deliver episodes that truly speak to you. Support from PCPS patrons means that we can devote more of our time and resources to the content, sources, equipment, software, hosting, and research that you've come to depend on without worrying about how to pay the bills. So thank you. We appreciate you from the bottom of our bell-bottomed hearts. So many television movies released in the 1970s were also a source of controversy. In addition to being scary, um, they're just... 
there are some controversial topics that TV movies would tackle, such as Elizabeth Montgomery's portrayal of a rape victim in the drama A Case of Rape in 1974, or Linda Blair's 1974 film Born Innocent, or 1975's Sarah T, Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic. Yeah. Don't you think that um, those movies were important? Like, yeah. I think those movies, again, were ones that helped us talk about topics that were previously kind of, again, in the shadows, something mm-hmm. we weren't going to talk mm-hmm. about. This allowed it to be one, maybe fictionalized, so you could talk about it at the water cooler the next day, or your parents could sit down next to you and talk to you about the dangers of becoming a teenage alcoholic, but you could talk about mm-hmm. um, those things. I mean, you think about, we just talked about Battered and the Burning Bed and movies that portrayed eating disorders and child abuse. It was, they were important topics, as cheesy as maybe, you know, the scenery was or who was cast in some of these um, roles. It was really important stuff, I think. And it was the impetus for a lot of them to get made. And speaking with Karen Grassley, why does she want – she didn't just want to star in Battered. She created Battered. She wrote Mm -hmm. Battered. And she tried to get Battered produced in order to get people talking Mm -hmm. about this topic of domestic abuse because nobody seemed to think it was a real thing. Right. And that was her purpose in doing it. Okay, so one of our followers, when asked for her most memorable TV movie, said that one with Linda Blair, which (laughs) cracked me up because I'm like, which one? Right. Because Linda Blair was one of the queens of made-for-TV movies. In the 70s, Linda – and remember who Linda Blair is. She starred as Reagan in The Exorcist, right? And was Uh actually nominated nominated for an Academy Award, wasn't she, for Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress? It was something crazy. Don't fact check us. Here's a little bit about Born Innocent from 1974, um, which was mentioned above as controversial. So it says, 20th century pint-sized icon Linda Blair paints a blazing on-screen portrait of a teenage reform school inmate. Super controversial for its depiction of female-on-female sexual abuse. And the lesbian feminist liberation dismissed the film stating, this cracks me up, stating men rape. Women don't, and regarded the film as propaganda against lesbians. This is like, can you imagine this? In, what shocking. was it, 1975? Yeah, 1975. Oh, no, 74. I'm sorry. No, it's 74. It's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, they it wouldn't, is. I'm pretty sure that would not make it to TV today. That would mm-hmm. never make it on TV. Some, I mean, it certainly wouldn't make it on network TV. I could see no. something on some of our other state, you know, right. Netflix or Hulu. But yeah, a lot of these topics, I, it's amazing that they did make it on TV. So why all of this terror and controversy on made-for-TV movies? There's actually a reason. Networks could take risks with TV movies that they couldn't do with a TV series. Because if it caused an uproar or if it tanked in the ratings, it was just a one-time hit to the network. Unlike a series, a TV series, where you could risk diminishing your audience and maybe even canceling the series. So this allowed them to do two things. They could go for broke and tempt big audiences with salacious content – or you could address controversial social issues that might risk a backlash from conservative audiences, right? Because it's just the one time. Mm-hmm. You're just showing it the one right. time, get people talking, they get mad at you, but now we're moving on to something else. Well, right. And not to mention, I think that um, even when you get the backlash from the conservative audiences, that makes all the more people maybe want to watch and see what's all uh-huh. this about that yep. might not have even been aware of the movie before. So honestly, I think it's a win-win as long as they can – get stuff past the FCC and all those yep. mm-hmm. rules and things like that, um, which is really amazing that some of this stuff could get past 
some of those ridiculous because I remember when we were doing the game shows and you, there were th- certain things in match game people couldn't say because they were too um, risque certain phrases you know that we talked about so yeah like you couldn't have, even say urine or something yeah mm-hmm. yeah to say and now you have bad Ronald tinkle. yeah hiding in the bedroom getting <laughs> ready to rape somebody and then murder them I mean it's just bonkers it's yeah. bonkers. And in rewatching some of these over the past couple of weeks, especially the ones that are dealing with some really serious topics and issues, I've just felt that they weren't handled that well. I felt that they've just sort of been like, and put it out there like, oh, I know what's going to get people to watch. We're going to talk about, you know, incest. We're going to talk about abuse. Let's just make this movie. Let's put it out there. Let's get people talking. And and when I watch it, I'm like, oh, ho, ho, ho. Like, you're showing one side or you are you are showing, you know, you are not telling the whole story. Um so I feel like a lot of these from the 70s, yes, was it good that they're um, making having people talk about a lot of these issues? Absolutely. That's always good for peop- for these things to come to light. Um, I don't feel, I feel like they weren't done in a way. Like I have a lot of criticisms about them um, just because now I feel like I'm so conscious of making sure that everything is, is correct. Does that make well, sense? Well, and there's a difference between salacious and raising awareness, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to ask, what was their purpose in making this movie? Was mm-hmm. it to make people go, oh, my God, and then just they can't take their eyeballs off of it? Or is it to help people learn something? And oftentimes it wasn't to help people learn something. It was to make money. Exactly. And just to almost yeah. make, um, like, it's, it's almost I feel like they put some of these issues out as movies just to like make a statement, like make people talk and make people be like, oh, almost like shock value, you know, like, oh, yeah, they're making sure. a movie about that. Yes. You know, eyeballs. Um, it's all about eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get the eyeballs. And that, um, so there's in that vein, there is one made for TV movie that we will not be talking about today because I simply mm-hmm. cannot. It feels so wrong. And I have no doubt that, you know, we talked about intentions. I have no doubt that the people involved with this movie had the very best of intentions. I really do. I think they did it with love in their hearts. But even by 1979 standards, I found it extremely uncomfortable. So bad. I could not. I just, I can't. I just can't even. Well, um, I just, let's expand a little bit because some people might not know what you're talking about. And I think it would only be fair if we did um, give it a little, a little airtime because it, it's based on a true story and it's called Like Normal People. And if you might recall, it features in lead roles, our first love, Sean Cassidy, along with Linda Pearl. And let's just say right there that the title has, there's an issue with That's that whole title yeah. of the show. Mm-hmm. But um, based on this nonfiction book, it aired on ABC, April 13th, 1979. Sean Cassidy and Linda Pearl portray Roger and Linda. They are a young couple, both with intellectual disabilities, who want to get married and have children and basically um, want to have the dreams, live the dreams that a lot of people want to live, but the law and others are saying they can't do it. So the movie, um, the New York Times actually reviewed the movie and said that these performances are not fudged. Roger and Virginia are portrayed with sometimes painful directness. Mr. Cassidy is admirable in suggesting and, main- and maintaining a sweet goofiness. Miss Pearl is uncompromising and thoroughly convincing in her slurred drawl and no-nonsense determination. (laughs) Right. So, at the same time, I think, and going on what you were saying, Michelle, I've just, 
if we go back to that time and not with our lens of today, right? I know for me, of course, you better believe I was going to watch that movie mm-hmm. if Sean Cassidy was yep. in it. I still remember that movie. And it was probably, I'm sure, the first time that I ever thought, oh, these individuals who are different than I am have the same dreams that I have. Like, they they want to have these lives that all of us maybe want to mm-hmm. have. And I don't think that I thought about people um, that had some challenges wanting the same things that I wanted. But it's a very natural, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, know. I know, right? It's so hard to talk about. It's so hard. Yeah, there were teachable moments in that, no question. Mm-hmm. Now we look at it, and I mean, just from the title alone, we're like, nope, right. okay, nope, that right. is not okay. But at the time, it it wasn't something that was viewed as right. not okay. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's 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 that, and then it's it's just cut it uh, for future, well, Kristen. Do, just cut me after right. I say it's not okay. <laughs> it, um, to your point, Carolyn, that even though I was super uncomfortable watching this movie, their point was made in that I did for the first time go, well, yeah, I bet they want to get married. Why right. shouldn't they be able to get married? And look at all these people who are trying to stop them from getting married. And so that was an important thing that they did. And that was their intention of showing this. It's just that the standards with which we do those things today are a lot different. And number one is that we would never have cast neurotypical people to portray people with intellectual disabilities. Exactly. Now we have a now we have a, a standard and a guideline that we just didn't have back then. And right. so those portrayals that might have been masterful by Sean Cassidy and Linda Pearl they just make me uncomfortable. I just keep coming mm-hmm. back to uncomfortable. I'm just very uncomfortable. And so maybe it was my 10-year-old self going, I don't think you should do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, there was another movie that I had forgotten about until I was doing uh, my research for um, like normal people. And it was called No Other Love. Do either of you remember mm-hmm. that? I, I remember seeing it referenced, but I don't think I've seen it. Okay, well, that, um, a very similar storyline to, and I'm reading you the tag or the um, log line, as you said, two marginally intellectually disabled young adults fall in love and wish to marry. And this starred Richard Thomas and Julie Kavner. Oh, my goodness. Brenda from Rhoda and John Boy. John Boy. And I do remember that movie after when I went back and, um, and looked at it after I saw the reference to it. I do remember that as well. so, yeah, I, I think all of those things. I don't think anybody was trying to get away with anything when no. they were uh-uh. doing these, uh, making these movies. I think it was important at the time. But, yes, we've we've learned and we know more and we do better now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's a lot of movies we just talked about. A lot oh, yeah. mm-hmm. of movies in a seemingly random fashion. <laughs> and it's not very, even very all of them. random. Oh my god! And it's just like we needed to get all of those those crazy, crazy plot lines out of our systems. But still, you're probably like, "What about this one? And what about this one? I can't believe you didn't talk about this one." Don't worry, it's coming. Yes, you guys, it is coming next week. So join us then for the countdown of the top. 10 most memorable made-for-TV movies of our childhoods. And you guys, if you're screaming at your device right now because we forgot your favorite 
chill out. That's probably <laughs> because it's made it into our countdown. Very exciting. Oh, thank goodness, because I've been screaming for the past hour at my microphone. Um, and thank you all so much for joining us today. If you're at all curious about those little goblin people in the shower or the Zuni <laughs> fetish doll, um, please sign up for our weekly reader. That's our newsletter that's like an extension of our podcast, and we'll send you the links to the things we've talked about. And this week will probably be a doozy. You've got to see um, the teeth on yes, the Zuni fetish doll. I know. <laughs> I actually can't wait to find some mm. of those things. Um, the news, our weekly reader is free. It's fun. And you can easily sign up um, at the link in our bio um, in Instagram. Um, you can just scroll down and you will see a link that says sign up for our fun PCPS emails. And we want to give a special, special thank you to our supporters on Patreon, because honestly, without the support of our patrons, this podcast could not keep on trucking. And today, we want to give a special shout out to patrons Sheila, Cheryl, Aaron, Sean, and Kathleen. Thank you all so, so much for your support. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. 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 <laughs> the information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Spread a little love and it will keep moving on Something always happens whenever we're together We get a happy feeling